Anthony, how are we going? That's good. I thought it was a pretty cool little video, hey? I thought it was pretty sweet. So my name's Andrew, it's great to be here, great to see you all. Um, for some of those who know me well, I'm also known as Andy, Nudo, Newts, Nuda, Rue, I've got a few different nicknames. Um, now when someone calls me a nickname, generally I know what group that person is from or what community that, that person is from by the nickname they call me. Um, so now I've told you all my different nicknames, but some of you might decide to call me a few different ones just to confuse me now. But um, names not only give us identity, uh, names also have meanings. So as an example, my name, Andrew, it has a Greek origin and it comes from the Greek word meaning warrior and manly. Just to use that as an example there. We're in week two of our uh, summer stories series, and this evening we'll be exploring the story of Jacob. Now, the key part of Jacob's story we'll be focusing on is when Jacob wrestles with God, as you saw in the video there. We'll get to that soon, but it's good to get some context first leading up to that point. And it's my hope and prayer tonight that we would see parts of ourselves in Jacob's story, that we would grasp the moments of change uh, through Jacob's, you know, God moments, moments with God, and that we would see that the God of Jacob is the same God today who is always present, always faithful, and always good. So I mentioned about names and names having meanings, and we read in Genesis 25 about the birth of Jacob and his twin brother Esau. So in 25, verse 25, the first one, was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau, which sounds like the Hebrew word for hair. <laughs> then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Now the name Jacob was given because the name sounds similar to the Hebrew word for supplanter, someone who is a deceiver or is deceiving. And we read on that Jacob starts to live up to this name. First, Jacob treated, cheated his brother out of his birthright, so his rights and privileges as the firstborn son. So in verse 29, Esau, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. So what good is my birthright to me now? Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So he saw, swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Now granted, Esau was very unwise to sell his birthright for a measly bowl of stew, but it certainly, from Jacob's point, wasn't a very brotherly thing to do. But Jacob's most deceiving act was yet to come, stealing his brother's blessing from his blind father. Now this blessing, this is, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Esau receiving his father's blessing is like receiving his part of the inheritance, but it's greater than that because the blessing that's to be provided, it's not by Isaac, but, but from the Lord God. Isaac was a man of God. He was a product of God's faithfulness. It's all right, just water in the grass, that's fine. <laughs> he was a product of God's faithfulness, patience, and provision. And this blessing is what Esau, as the firstborn, was entitled to. So upon hearing that Isaac was giving Esau the blessing and that 
on his return from hunting, he would give that blessing, Rebecca called Jacob in and hatched up a cunning plan. Jacob went and got two goats and Rebecca quickly cooked up a meal using the meat. And Jacob then dressed in Esau's clothes, putting on the goat skins underneath in order to feel like his hairy brother Esau and probably smell like his hairy brother Esau as well. So despite being blind, Isaac at first had his doubts, but eventually was convinced and gave Jacob the blessing. Understandably, when Esau found out shortly afterwards, he was not a happy chappy. He was furious and plotted to kill Jacob. Jacob decided to flee. It's a good move. I reckon, uh, I reckon Esau would have finished Jacob in no time. So Jacob ran. And when Jacob found a place for the rest of the night to sleep, while he was sleeping, Jacob experienced a dream where he saw angels of God ascending and descending a staircase connecting heaven and earth. God then spoke to him in this dream. This is Jacob's first God moment. This is his first experience with God. And this is what God said in Genesis 28, verse 13. I am the Lord your God. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've finished giving you everything I've promised. Now, at this point, I think it would be very easy to write off Jacob as a deceiving, sneaky liar. And why on earth would God see any potential in this guy at all? Why would God choose to bless Jacob to use Jacob as the foundation to bless these many families and descendants, this continuation of God's bloodline? Why Jacob? Firstly, I actually feel sorry for Jacob at this point because reading through, if you read through the past few passages, we get a clear sense that Jacob's family had issues too. Jacob's father, Isaac, he had a deceiving streak in him. There was a clear favouritism in the family as well, and there was Rebecca's part in helping stealing the blessing. I mean, what, what's going on there? I mean, there is brokenness in this family. There is brokenness in this family, and we can see this brokenness through Jacob and his ex- actions. But secondly, God specialises in hopeless cases. In my experience, and I know from many others, that God specialises in hopeless cases. Jacob's credibility was gone. He had cheated his father, stolen from his brother, had to leave his mother and home. He was feeling afraid and was alone. And then God meets Jacob where he's at, offers hope and grace, and promises to be always present, always faithful, and always good. Jacob was filled with awe and wonder, but then we read of his response in verse 20. Get this. Jacob made this vow. If, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I've set up will become a place for worshipping God, and I'll present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. 
clearly God's still got some work to do. I'm going to quickly cover the next part of Jacob's story, but you can go to Genesis 32 if you like, if you've got your Bibles and such forth. I'll get to that shortly. So Jacob then heads to Haran where his uncle Laban lives. Jacob gets a taste of his own medicine, so to speak, while working for his uncle. First Laban tricks Jacob in giving his daughter Leah to him on his wedding day rather than his younger daughter Rachel who Jacob had sought to marry in the first place. Then Laban, after agreeing to giving Jacob certain coloured and speckled animals from his flocks as payment, he removed those animals so Jacob couldn't obtain them, so he kept them instead. But God remains present in Jacob's life throughout this. He remains faithful and he remains good by enabling the flocks to produce coloured and speckled young, increasing and growing Jacob's own flocks and his herds and increasing his wealth. And he got to marry Rachel as well as Leah, so good on him. Um, (laughs) So, God had also said that your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Well, at this point, Jacob had 11 sons, so that's coming to fruition as well. Laban's sons, however... They believe that Jacob had stolen everything from their father Laban and as Laban's attitude towards Jacob began to change, God speaks to Jacob and he says, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there and I'll be with you. Understandably, this came as a big surprise to Jacob. It has been a number of years since God had directly spoken to him through the dream of Bethel, but the biggest shock in fact, he's been asked by God to head home, home to where his brother Esau is. Remember, when Jacob had fled, Esau was full of fury and wanting to kill him. So Jacob obeys, he goes, despite being fearful of this upcoming confrontation with Esau. So Jacob decides to give Esau the heads up that he's coming home. He sends some messengers ahead of him to give Esau the message that he's coming in peace. And his messengers return in chapter 32, verse 6 to 8. His messengers said, look, we've met your brother, we've met your brother, we've we've met Esau. He's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob responded to this revelation as most people would if put in a similar situation, with great fear and great terror. Jacob wouldn't have been able to defeat Esau in a battle fight, let alone 400 men as well. So what does Jacob do next? He's planning and calculating. That's, that's who he is. That's his character. Out of fear, he decides to split his family and flocks into two groups. His reasoning that if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Then what's he do? He prays to God. Now probably thinking, well, hang on, where's Jacob's faith? He should have trusted God more. He should have prayed to God first. Remember that Jacob is not a wholly perfect, faultless, faithful man at this point. He's a work in progress, just like we are a work in progress. Jacob's prayer shows us here that he recognises his need for God. If we read through Jacob's prayer, verses 9 through to 12, it's really interesting. Firstly, Jacob's prayer confirms purpose. It confirms purpose that you've sent me. Fear will begin to lose its power over you when you are steadfast and certain in the plan and purpose that God has called you to. Secondly, Jacob praises God 
He praises God. He has thankfulness on his heart. There is always something to be thankful to God for. An attitude of thankfulness and praise will grow joy within your heart. Then Jacob puts forward his petition, his appeal and his request. He asks God to intervene and to save, to save him. And finally, this is a big point, he ends his prayer with promises. God, you promised me. God's word. God, you said. You promised me. God's word is power and truth. God's word is alive, sharper than any double-edged sword, even at this early stage. Jacob knew there was power in God's word. He didn't just pray, Lord, save me, God, help me, but he recalled and relied upon God's direction and God's promises. Jacob knew and believed that God's promises were steadfast and certain. He'd heard God through that dream at Bethel. He had seen God's favour at work through his flocks and herds. God had protected him from Laban. Jacob knew that God was always present, always faithful and always good. Jacob also sends, as we saw, a large number of gifts ahead to give to Esau. So we can see that Jacob's heart as well is becoming more generous in giving here too. So Jacob has changed. Yes, it's taken a rather alarming situation, but Jacob has changed. How does God respond? So we read on further in verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. Now, yep, so he sends all of his family, all of his possessions, flocks and herds over the river towards Esau. Jacob stays behind. I reckon Jacob is still just a little bit fearful. But what stuck out to me the most at this point, and this is where I'd like to give Jacob just a little bit of credit here, is that Jacob sought solitude with God. Left alone, all alone in the camp. He'd sought God's presence to spend time alone with God. I mean, really alone. No distractions, no wife or wives, for that matter. No kids, (laughs) no people, no animals, no possessions, no distractions. Just God. And Jacob. Now, some of you here tonight desire or want to hear from God. I mean, other characters of the Bible, such as when Moses heard from the Lord on Mount Sinai, or, or when the prophet Elijah heard God's voice whisper to him, they were both alone. Even Jesus, the Son of God, regularly spent time alone to pray to God. Jesus even taught us about prayer, saying, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your Father in private. Then your Father God, who sees everything, will reward you. I've already mentioned about the power of God's word here. Uh, God will reveal more and more of himself to you when you spend time in prayer and in his, in his word. It's 20 minutes in the chair, as we, say, as we say here. Cannot encourage you enough to spend that time. Because it's in this time of solitude that God moves and he gives Jacob an experience he'll never forget. Suddenly this man appears out of nowhere. Perhaps Jacob had thought it was Esau and that maybe the other 400 men were close behind. If this was Esau, he would have just killed him or at least severely injured him because remember the strength difference between the two of them. Esau, he was, he was a big brute. 
this wrestle went on all night. Until the crack of dawn, Jacob would have realised at some point that this was no ordinary man he was wrestling. And therefore, this was no ordinary wrestling match. In another part of the Bible, the prophet Hosea, in chapter 12, gives us just a little bit more insight. Hosea says that, yes, he wrestled with the angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. And there he met God face to face and God spoke to him. And indeed, Jacob mentions after the wrestle that he was convinced he had seen God face to face. So, the wrestle, wrestling with God. Note verse 25, which I find very interesting. The man saw that he couldn't win the match against Jacob. Really? We we were just saying that Jacob was effectively wrestling with God. Surely God would be able to overpower Jacob. Yet in the very next sentence, we also read that this man touched the socket of Jacob's hip, wrenching it. So God isn't powerful enough to win and overcome Jacob's strength, yet he can wrench a grown man's hip out of joint by merely touching it. The man saw that he would not win the match. It's very easy to assume, and this is referring to physical overpowering, but perhaps it isn't referring to the physical wrestling match. God could have crushed Jacob and ended it there, right there and then. But God had a plan and a purpose for Jacob, as we heard. He had said so even before Jacob was born. God isn't trying to win through demonstration of strength. God had to win over Jacob's heart. He had to win over Jacob's cunning, his bargaining, his sneaky yet stubborn and determined character in order to work through him. Jacob had to allow God to conquer him by surrendering the fight. Jacob had recognised his need for God, yes, but Jacob now needed to surrender. Now, even after having his hip wrenched out of place, Jacob still wouldn't let go, not until he received that blessing. Sometimes life feels a little bit like that. You've wrestled, you've struggled for so long, and you feel that all you can do at the end is literally just cling and grab and hold on. Soon Jacob needs to to let go and surrender. Not that this is the first time that Jacob has surrendered to God. We need to choose, you know, we need, this is not the first time Jacob has surrendered to God for his calling or his direction. It's the same for us. It's not a once-off decision to surrender to God. We need to choose to surrender daily as we journey with God and move along the hope pathway, becoming more Jesus-centred, others-focused. And God doesn't make us surrender by force. He's a God of freedom. If we were forced to follow God and to surrender to Him, we wouldn't be truly free. He may wrestle with our finances, with our relationships, with health, with stress, with time management, whatever it is. Yet here in this story, we can take heart and take hope in knowing that God is there wrestling with us and for us. God can't force you to give or tithe. But his word promises that whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For God loves a cheerful giver. God can't force you to pray, but his word promises when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. God can't force you to forgive, but Jesus has said that if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. God can't force you to forgive yourself, even though you already have full forgiveness through Jesus Christ. God can't force you to follow him or to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. But those who do, 
can attest that he is always present, he is always faithful, and he is always good. Finally, the angel asks what Jacob's name is. Remember I was saying earlier that names not only give us identity, but also have meanings. So in Hebrew culture, Jacob's been asked, what is your name? That would have been a bit embarrassing for him. Imagine having to explain and confess that you are so named because you're a liar and that you're a deceiver. So he has to confess. He has to confess. The angel then blesses Jacob. Did God give in in the fight by accepting Jacob's request to bless him? No, God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us. He does not disqualify us based on our history. God can take anyone who will surrender to him and make him a part of his story. What was the outcome? Read in chapter 33 that Jacob then hobbled off and saw Esau coming in the distance. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they both left. How amazing is that? God conquers our enemies by conquering us. So even though we've looked at Jacob tonight, he isn't the main focus here. He isn't the primary character, the hero of the story, so to speak. God's the hero. A God who is faithful, God who is forgiving, patient, powerful and good. This is our God. This is our Lord. This is our Heavenly Father. If you need a clear picture on who God is and what He is like, this is good, but it only shows a fraction of who He is. It's not the full picture. To get a clear picture, you need to look to Jesus. From Jacob, his descendants, all the way through the bloodline, Jesus, the Son of God, is then born. Jesus became the, that one and only sacrifice taking on our sin so that we could be made right in God's sight. Jesus' resurrection enabled humanity to receive right standing with God and to receive his Holy Spirit, which enables us to experience and share the same goodness of God that Jacob experienced. Just like when God first spoke to Jacob, Jesus speaks to us today through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. Just like when Jacob was afraid and full of fear, we can turn to Jesus in prayer at any time, knowing that his name is above every other name, that the name of Jesus is power and that the Holy Spirit given to us is not a spirit of fear or timidness, but it's a spirit of power and love. So a strong mind. Just like when Jacob sought God's presence in solitude, Jesus is waiting to spend time with us, to reveal more to us draw near to him that he'll draw near to us just like when Jacob was wrestling Jesus is working in us working through us changing us from the inside out he is Emmanuel God with us he is determined to work within us bringing us to reflect Jesus and his holiness in our lives and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ just like when Jacob surrender to God. We too have the freedom to choose to surrender to Jesus. Just like when Jacob surrendered to, just like when Jacob was given a new name, 
a new identity. We are given a new identity in Christ Jesus. And just like when Jacob was blessed, we too are blessed to know that we are children of God. We are blessed in the knowledge of His grace and mercy to us. Blessed because of His love for us. Just like Jacob, we too can come to God through Jesus, knowing that He is always present, always faithful, and always good. I invite you all to to stand with me now if you're able. And um, during this next song, I'd really encourage you to reflect on how good God is, that He's always present, always faithful, and always good. Encourage you to to surrender to Him, and if you need to to move to find your own space to you know to experience God or to just feel through you. I truly believe that if we draw